Amen. All right, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 John. And if you would with me, look at verse number 5. We'll read that. We'll read a couple of select verses here and then dive into our text. But 1 John chapter 2 and verse 5 says, But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Then look down at verse 10. The scripture says, He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. And then look down at verse 12. It says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Let's... Uh, Pray and ask the Lord for His help this morning, and we'll jump into this text. Lord, thank you again for the opportunity to meet here, and uh, thank you for the amazing opportunity that our pastor has to uh, just work and to labor diligently for you and to teach and to preach your word to people that uh, we, we normally wouldn't have access to. And I thank you for these uh, national pastors that are coming from all over in the Middle East. And God, it's just amazing to see the way that you are getting the light of the gospel to that region. And I pray that you would continue to help him and keep him safe, Lord, give them protection and safety. And just use and bless your word there this morning. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would please speak to our hearts here this morning. Help us to see um, the truth from your word. Help us to see how it impacts our lives, Lord. I ask that you'd help us to act upon it. And Lord, if there's one here this morning that if they were to die today, they are not sure where they'd spend eternity. I pray today that they would be able to hear the answer, how they can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they can spend eternity with you, Lord. And you give us that promise in your word. We thank you for that. Lord, ask for your help this morning. In Christ's name, amen. First John chapter 2 here, in verse number 3 and 5, Paul says that we can know as believers, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you know God and that you are in God. In verse 3 he says, And hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. And then verse 5 says, But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Now multiple times, John throughout this book says, I want you to know. I write this so that you will know. And you know, that is so great for our generation, right? For our day and age. Because it's just uh, against the status quo to actually say that you know something without any doubt. People that actually know the truth or say that they know the truth are looked at through our world, through our culture as being bigoted, uh, just they don't like anybody else that's not like them. And it has nothing to do with the truth. John says, as a believer, if you're going to live an effective Christian life, there are some things that you ought to know. So as a believer, you can know that you are in Christ and you can know that you know God by keeping his commandments and keeping his word. Then verse 10, he says, uh, He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. So not only should we love God and display that by keeping his, his word, but we ought to love the brethren. 
We ought to love other Christians. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time, I'm not going to spend any time uh, here this morning with that, other than to say that it's going to be evident if we know God, that we love God and we love the brethren. Then, as we keep his word, verse 12 through 14 gives us a supernatural spiritual growth process. And we looked at it in Sunday school, so again, we're not going to, the message isn't about this this morning. But verse 12, 13, and 14 identifies three out of the seven stages of spiritual growth for a believer. Now, we saw in Sunday school, as a believer, are you ever done growing? Do you ever hit a point in your Christianity where you can say, I've made it. I am elite Christian, SEAL Team 6. Don't ever have to do anything more for God from here on out. Man, everything that I could possibly do, it's done. You ever hit that point? No. Paul said that he was the aged, but he was still winning people to Christ there in Philemon. He witnessed to Onesimus, and Onesimus got saved. And... um, Paul, of anybody, you know, developed along these spiritual um, along these spiritual stages. But he said in Philippians, "I count not myself to have apprehended." He said, "I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus." So the work in your life and in my work, life spiritually, it's never done. But notice this, and this is where we come to our text. And what we're going to look at this morning, we're going to look at two different men. We're going to look at their loves and the results of what they love. So we're going to look at two different men. The first man that we're going to look at this morning is the man, number one, who loves the world. The man who loves the world. Look here in verse 15. The scripture says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now let me ask you, verse 15, who is this addressed to? We'll look at the context. We just saw all of these uh, the, all of these stages of spiritual development. He says, I write unto you, little children, uh, your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, I write unto you, young men, love not the world. So this is, sometimes we get the idea that, yeah, I mean, everybody out there in the world, they love the world and they're all wrapped up in it. Well, he's saying that he's warning believers that as a father, as a young, as a little child or as a young man in Christ... Any one of us along any stage of spiritual development, we have the possibility that we might go back and love the world. So in our lives, in in this life, you will never hit a spiritual stage in which you go, oh man, got the world licked, world has nothing on me, and just not even tempted anymore. You know, that would be cool, that would be nice. And listen, there is coming a day in which the new heavens and the new earth are going to come down, and the Bible says, therein dwelleth righteousness. There will be a day when you can worship and love and serve God, and you're going to be in His presence if you're saved, and you won't be tempted anymore. This this fleshly body is going to be done away with. You're going to be changed, and, and the Scripture tells us that. We'll have bodies that are incorruptible and that fadeth not away. But for now, we're in this world. And there's a man here who loves the world. And uh, first John, and John says, listen, don't love the world. Love not the world. He says, neither the things that are in the world. What is characteristic of the man that loves the world? Well, he can be of any spiritual stage. He can be of any spiritual age. And a man that loves the world does not have the love of the Father in him. Look at the end of verse 15. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So... And this is so important to keep in context um, because 1 John 2, 5 is a key verse for our understanding of this passage. In verse 5, he said, But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. 
So if I love God, it will be evidenced and I will demonstrate a love for God by keeping his word. But for a man that loves the world, he has to lay aside the word of God to cling to the world. Um, Jesus says it this way in Matthew 6, 24. No man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. And in that context, he says, you cannot serve God and mammon. So Jesus says, you know, there are people that are in, in it for the money. They cannot serve God. If they're all about the mammon, if they're all about the money, they cannot serve God because you can't serve God and mammon. So if he, and, and notice it's so important to see there that either he will hate the one and, and set aside the other or he will cling to the other one and despise the other. So John says, if you love God, keep his commandments, hold tight, hold fast to the word of God. But this man that loves the world, his keeping of the scriptures, he sets that aside. It's despised that he can love the world. So the love of the father is not in him. So for the man that loves the world, he can be of any spiritual age. The, the love of the father is not in him. And then look at verse 16. He craves what is in the world. Verse 16 says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father, but is of the world. Now, hold your place here. We are going to be back, but we have to see this craving, this temptation. And what better example than Genesis chapter three? So please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter three. Now, I'll just say this here of our text this morning in three verses, you've got 80 or 88 words. Eleven of them are positive. So what I want to avoid this morning now, the, the first like bit of this message is going to be negative. Sorry, but God did that. All right. So, but we are going to get to some real positive stuff and the stuff that's positive, man, it's good. It's real good. So you hang with me, but the first, you know, uh, 77 words they're you know, love, not don't do this. So anyway, Genesis chapter three and, um, while I was talking, I did not go there. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. All right, I do that just merely to keep these guys up here awake. All right, they're into it. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. That's kind of a West Coast British thing. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open and they, were, uh, they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And we understand and know that in the, God told them that in the day that they ate of that fruit, they would surely die. And in a, the moment that they disobeyed God, they spiritually died. And they began, Adam and Eve, to physically die. And the scripture here, because sin entered into the world, the Bible says, For as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin... 
So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We see here that sin enters into the human race. And it's a virus, it's an infection that we all are tainted with. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not a man, woman, boy, girl that has been born into this world that has not been infected with the virus of sin. But notice the temptation. Our text in 1 John said that all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We see that evidenced here. Notice with me the woman in verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that lust of the flesh, it, it was food. It was something that would meet a physical desire that she had. It says that it was pleasant to the eyes. You have the lust of the eyes. Something that it looked so appetizing. It looked so good. And then she saw that it was a tree to be desired to make one wise. The pride of life. And so this world tempts us with things that we can have. Things that we can see and do. And someone that we can be. You know what's interesting? Temptation shouldn't be all that tempting to us, but it is. James chapter 1 says it this way, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You know why you and I sin? Because we're sinners. And the lust of our flesh entices us. And God has revealed to us His perfect will in the Scriptures. And yet we have violated His law. We have violated God's Word. Now, look back with me at 1 John chapter 4. Keeping that in mind, you've got the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The Scripture says it's not of the Father, but is of the world. Notice this first phrase, notice the first phrase there in verse 16, for all that is in the world. Have you ever had somebody that you're negotiating with and they say, is that it? You know, maybe you're trying to sell a car or you're trying to uh, sell, maybe you are in sales and you're, you've, uh, you want to be great. Just the next time you get a sales call or somebody comes to your door. Just let them go through their whole spiel. And it's amazing how they'll do it for like 20 minutes, right? Now, if this is you in here and you're in sales, I'm sorry. But what's fun is I've got the patience to just sit there and let them keep going. Because it's fun. I know I'm not buying what you're selling, but go ahead. And for like 25 minutes, they'll sit there. And especially when they call, you know, you hear the, you hear the ring, you hear the silence, and then the click. And you're like, and then you hear all the other phones and computers going in the background. You're like, all right, it's a sales call. And it's just great. <laughs> Hi, my name's Dave, and we're with uh, Sales and Signing today. And we've got a deal for you at $29.95. And if you sign up now for six weeks, and you can't, you know, it's not. <laughs> and what's really good is when they go, Hi, how are you doing today? And you're like, Well, I was great until you called, you know? Um, <laughs> I try and remember, it's one of those ministry things that before you just rush and say, hey, Patrick, we need, you know, six tables and, and uh, we need some applesauce and everything out at, the, to, out at the park for the picnic. Before you jump in, you try and say, Patrick, how you doing? <laughs> but when these salespeople, you know, they, they call, you just let them go for about 20 minutes. And then 
I, what I want to try next time, I've never done this, but this is my next tactic, is to go, is that all? Wouldn't that be great? You know, they spend half an hour telling you about this big deal. And the problem is I'll do that and they'll be like, no, that's not all. You know, they'll go into the, the second half of that spiel. But you try it. And listen, if you get to it before I do, you try it and let me know what they say. Just say, is that all you got? The Bible says all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father, but is of the world. When we as believers have the word of God abiding in us, where we ought to be, the Bible says, as young men, you are strong. The word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. As a believer in Christ, what we ought to do, the, the attitude we ought to have is to say, is that all the world has to offer? Is that it? And, and, you know, not to go so far to be like, that all you got, you know, it, because we don't be filled with pride but we do need to overcome temptation. And notice this. Look at the example. We saw an example where Adam and Eve, they felt like you and I did, completely into temptation. But let's look at an, at an amazing example of someone who did not fall into temptation. The perfect, sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ. Look with me in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Now, right here, I don't want to say anything to make light of temptation because Jesus, when he was in the garden, we sang about the garden of Gethsemane. The Bible says that you and I, we haven't resisted temptation unto blood. Jesus Christ was resisting temptation to the point that he was sweating drops of blood in the garden. So I don't, I don't want to make light of temptation. But you and I, when we love God and we love his word, there are a lot of things in this world that are a lot less appealing because we're looking at them with biblical glasses. We're looking at sin and seeing what it, how it will destroy our lives instead of looking at how it will satisfy a momentary pleasure that we may or, or a desire that we may have. Luke chapter 4 and verse 1, the scripture says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness being 40 days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command the stone that it be made bread. Lust of the flesh, right? I mean, aren't you hungry? Don't you need something for your flesh? And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world. And I've got this phrase underlined in my Bible. In a moment of time. And you know what we've got next? Let me tell you where you're going to be living. Right there. Okay, there it is. You, you like it? Did you see it? It's amazing. The kingdoms of this world, this entire world can be summed up in, you can see it in, in about a second. Oh, man. Can't wait to have that. We're going to see in a moment here what Jesus is entitled to, but it's an inter it, it, it's awesome that God put that in there. Just in a moment of time, because you know what? That's all the longer those kingdoms under Satan's authority are going to last. So he takes him up into a high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms. And verse 6 says, And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee. And the Bible does say that he is the God of this world, so he could have at this time fulfilled this and the glory of them. For that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. 
And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from thence. So he said, Make yourself some bread to satisfy that flesh. Look at the kingdoms of this world to satisfy your, your desires and all the things that you can have. And then, if you're so awesome, why don't you show us who you are? Just cast yourself off. That pride of life. Show us who you are. Show us what you can do. And Satan even starts quoting scripture. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee to keep thee. Okay, you want to use the scripture? Well, the Bible says this. You ever had somebody try and defend a doctrine using a verse in the Bible? Let's compare it with all the other verses in the Bible, okay? So that's what you got to do. Compare scripture with scripture. And in verse 11, he says, And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. For a season. Can you imagine being Jesus Christ? He was perfect. He's sinless. The Bible says that he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He was uh, perfect and sinless and lived his entire life never sinning, never coming to one single temptation. And yet it was around him all the time. And, and there, were, there, there were seasons where it was more intense than others. But he was perfect. And, I, and you, you've seen, many of you, you've seen this account before where you know that Jesus overcame temptation. How? Through the word of God. Sounds a little bit like what John told us. That if any man love God, the love of God is perfected in him when he keeps his commandments. And Jesus was able to overcome temptation because he didn't take the word of God and esteem it lightly. He, he, there was nothing in this world that... In, in, in his heart and in, in, in the decision that he's made, there was nothing in this world that was worth him disobeying God to latch on to. Nothing worth that. It, it wasn't worth some kind of, uh, it wasn't worth the food. It wasn't worth the kingdoms that he saw. It wasn't worth proving to everybody who he was at that moment. It wasn't worth it to him. And I don't know about you, but if I could do supernatural things, you know, now we can supernaturally through prayer, you know, God will do that. But if I could jump off the building and not cast my foot against a stone, that would be cool. But I can't. And the Lord chose to follow and obey God, but obey the Father and obey the Word over um, acting in His own will. So we have here two different men. Let's go back in our text and look at First John chapter four or First John chapter two. The first man is the man who loves this world. The man who loves this world, the Bible says the love of the Father is not in him. He doesn't keep the word of God. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And look at what they have to show for it. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. The world passeth away. You know, the Lord knew that the kingdoms of this world and their Satan's control, it'll pass. It's only for a moment of time. Um, in Luke chapter 16, verse 15, the Lord says, And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. You see, all that this world has to offer you is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Listen to the result of that. Ecclesiastes 1.8. Solomon here, full of wisdom in the, in the spirit, says this. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. 
you can never have enough sin to satisfy that appetite. You can never have enough of it. The eye is not filled with seeing, the ear not filled with hearing. You cannot do that certain sin. You cannot uh, participate in that certain act. And listen, you know, the Bible says the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness. And we could, I, I, my goal this morning is not to give you a list because you know the, the, the sin that, that may be in your own life. And, and the scripture says you can't have enough of it to ever be satisfied. Hebrews eleven twenty five says that Mo, um, Moses choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And we read it a little earlier. James says that sin, when it is finished, you know, sin, when it is finished with us, it bringeth forth death. So I want you to imagine you get that sales call. Hey, what I've got to offer you is something that is never going to satisfy you. I mean, in just uh, 21 days, it'll kill you. And would any of us buy that? No. But you know what? Satan, this world, they know that. So they have to make sin look appealing. They have to make it to where it would appeal to your flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. The Lord overcame temptation by obeying the word of God. Now, we've got the man who loves the world, but notice this, the man who does the will of God. Look at the reward, look at the result that is here. First of all, um, what is the will of God? All right, First uh, John chapter 2 and verse 17, And the world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. What is the will of God? Hold your place here. We've got to look at this. John chapter 6 and verse 29. Go to the gospel of John. You got, we're in 1 John now, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel there. Chapter 6 and verse 29. What is the will of God? How can I do the will of God if I want to abide forever? Um, let's look at verse 28. Then said they unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. You know what the will of God is for your life? That you believe on Jesus Christ. Not that, you know, God, the Bible also says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants you to spend eternity with him forever in heaven. God wants you to miss out on hell. So much so that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins and my sins so we don't have to go there. But there has to come a point in time in your life where you by faith realize that you're a sinner and that your sin has separated you from God. That sin will never satisfy and it'll never uh, and you cannot do anything in and of yourself to work to try and make things right between you and God. Jesus Christ paid the penalty. He bore the wrath of God. The Bible says that all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, wasn't just a good man dying for a, a cause that he believed in. He was the perfect sinless son of God dying for your sins and mine. And you know how I know that? Three days later, he rose from the dead to prove and to show that he is God and he, the Bible says, First uh, John 2, 1, he says, My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation, it means a satisfactory payment. 
If I had a teenager here this morning that had an Apple iPhone 4, and I said, hey, I will give you 50 cents for that iPhone, what do you think? Is that sufficient payment? No. If I said, hey, I got $10,000, and I will give that to you for that iPhone, okay, <laughs> you know, they would take that. Why? Because I'd say that's sufficient payment. I think, really, iPhone 4 should be about $20, but that, you know, they don't ask me those questions because um, they like to make money. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the satisfactory payment, the propitiation. You can't add anything to that. You can't take anything away from it. And so Jesus, when he died, paid the price. So for you this morning, you know what the will of God is for you? If you have never by faith trusted Christ as your Savior, that's God's will for you this morning. It's God's will that you realize you're a sinner, separated from him, that you need Christ in your life. Now, how do you get Christ in your life? Do you join a church? Do you get in the baptistry? Do you give money? No, no, no. By faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. If you could do something to get it, pride of life, you could go boast about it. Hey, I got eternal life from God and uh, did it all myself. No. And there are many that walk in that way. But the Bible says, broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many there be that go in there at. But narrow is the way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So not only is the will of God that you believe on Christ, but realize that you will abide forever. We read a moment ago that Satan tried to appeal to Jesus with all the kingdoms of this world. And Jesus said, get thee behind me. In Revelation eleven fifteen, the Bible, the scripture says, and the seventh angel sounded and there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Jesus submitted to the will of God and he's going to get those kingdoms and it will abide forever. You see, Satan, this world, our flesh, it wants a momentary satisfaction, sin that's for a season. Jesus said, get thee behind me. I'm obeying the word of God. And we know that to come, he will inherit the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. So notice the difference between what Satan offered him and what God offered him. Notice the difference between what this world offers you and I and what God offers you and I. 2 Corinthians 5.1 says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God. And house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Are you saved this morning? You have an eternal home that no tornado can knock over, that no Federal Reserve can underfund or kill the interest rates on, you know. You have a home eternal in the heavens. Second Corinthians 4.18 says, While we look not on the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Lay up there for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your uh, treasure is, there will your heart be also. 1 Corinthians 3.14. Um, let's look here. 1 Corinthians 3.14. I, I want you to see this. Because that word abide is also in this text. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. We'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 14. Uh, we've got to start in verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So he's the foundation. He is uh, where we find salvation. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, uh, wood, hay, stubble, 
every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it. What's the day? The day when we stand before God and give an account, right? Uh, for believers, that's the judgment seat of Christ that happens after the rapture. For those who are not saved, that's the great white throne judgment. And they will not stand in this judgment. They'll be at the great white throne where the books are opened and they are judged according to their works. And they are cast into outer darkness into the lake of fire. But here it says, if any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Now, I said 11, 11 of the words in this text are positive. You know what's real positive? You right now have the capacity, the ability, and the possibility through the Spirit of God, through obedience to the Word, to start laying up things in heaven that are gold, silver, precious stone, that when this world and this universe is just... The Bible says that um, uh, these the, the elements... They're in being burned with fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. We know that there is a judgment of fire coming to this universe. You have the opportunity to lay stuff up that's not going to get burned up. So we have the possibility that our work might abide. And so as you invest in young people with Awana and you work in the nursery so that people's kids can be taken care of while they hear the word of God... And you work in the sound so that people can hear the word of God. And you work in the areas of ministry and you do things to serve the Lord. You're building up treasures for yourself in heaven. And you know what's not going to burn up in heaven? Believers. People that you and I have led to Christ will make it through that fire. That fire of judgment. So Ecclesiastes 3.14 says, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it that men should fear before him. We looked at the first man, this man that loves the world. And the things that he is living for, they're temporal, they're going to fade away. But the man that doeth the will of God, the man who is, puts his faith and trust in Christ, will abide forever. He won't have to spend eternity in hell. But the man that doeth, does the will of God will be able to lay up treasure for himself in heaven. And Adoniram Judson, I believe, is one of those men. He was a Baptist missionary to Burma and worked to translate uh, the scriptures in, in, into um, the Burmese language. They didn't have a Bible. And notice what he said about this. Uh, this is amazing. He says, God has promised that he will regard the man that is of a broken and contrite spirit and that trembleth at his word. He has promised that they, wait upon, they that wait upon him shall renew their strength. The Almighty, the immutably, immutably faithful, has made this promise. He is not a man that he should lie, and his arm is not an arm of flesh. Wait then upon the Lord. Of how much real happiness we cheat ourselves, and we cheat our souls by preferring a trifle to God. We have a general intention of living religion, but we intend to begin tomorrow or next year. The present moment we prefer giving to the world. A little more sleep, a little more slumber. Well, a little more sleep and a little more slumber, and we shall be in the grave. A few days and our work will be done. And when it is once done, it is done to all eternity. And I want you to think about this thought that he says. A life once spent is irrevocable. It will remain to be contemplated through eternity. If it be marked with sins, it will be marked indelible. If it has been a useless life, it can never be improved. Such it will stand forever and ever. And the same may be said of each day. Once it is passed, it is gone forever. And the marks which we put upon it, it will exhibit forever. It will never become less true that such a day was spent in such a manner. 
Each day will not only be a witness of our conduct, but will affect our everlasting eternity. No day will lose its share of influence in determining where shall be our seat in heaven. How shall we then wish to see each day marked with usefulness? It will then be too late to mend its appearance. It will be too late to mend the days that are past. It is the future that is in our power. Let us then each morning resolve to send, and this is so cool, let us resolve to send the day into eternity in such a garb as we shall wish to wear it forever. And at night, let us reflect that one more day is irrevocably gone, indelibly marked. Are you living your life with a love for the world, setting aside the word of God for the pleasures of sin for a season? Or are you sending your days out into eternity in a garb that you can't wait to wear that one forever? You can't wait to lay the crowns and the jewels and all the stuff back at Jesus' feet because there's no way we could ever outgive what he's done for us. Are you one who follows the, the man who loves the world or the man who does the will of God and you're going to abide forever and the work that you do will abide forever? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace and God, the opportunity that we have to serve you.